commence primary ignition. You will find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. You must unlearn what you have learned. I'm looking forward to completing your training. Welcome to Coruscant Community College, a new podcast that focuses on studying Star Wars as text. I'm Craig Dickinson. And I'm Matt Leader. Today on the show, we'll begin sharing the methods we've developed to lead students through a critical study of film, starting with an overview of cinematography. But before we jump into that, we need to kind of introduce the concept of mise-en-scene. So this is a film term that uh, as you kind of get into film studies, you're going to bump into this. And really what mise-en-scene means is everything within the frame. So the frame of the film and everything inside of it, the characters, the setting, props, all that stuff is considered a part of mise-en-scene. So staging, lighting. And we're going to start with the assumption that everything has meaning, has purpose. So we can kind of ask ourselves this question, what prompted this? Like, why did the director, the producers, whoever, why did they choose to have this prop within the frame of the camera? Why did they choose to do uh, this with the lighting? And that can be a little bit of a foreign concept, but it really goes back to this idea of being an active viewer of, of movies and of uh, film as text. And what that means is that we are treating everything as intentional. So the directors, the creators of films, they, they very intentionally put these things in their movies. And we're trying to figure out why. We're trying to analyze the reasons why they put these things in film. So we have a little cheat sheet. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. And if you'd like to kind of jump over to that, you can take a look at this and kind of see what we're seeing uh, as we're talking about this. But we have three images that were pulled from Force Awakens, Ray's introduction at the beginning of the film. So we have image A, image B, and image C. And Craig, I wanted to ask you, looking at these three images, what are some of the things that you pull uh, from these three images? So the first image that we're looking at, image A, uh, which looks like timestamp about 1345, is looks like a flower uh, mm -hmm. that is still hanging on. You can see... Uh, some of the petals have fallen to the table and it's the only bud that's still alive in this pot. And what I get from that is that this is a symbol for Ray, that she is surviving despite odds against her. She's just barely hanging on, but she is determined uh, to continue to survive. That's what I see with this image. I think that that flower uh, symbolizes Ray. What do you think? Uh, that's actually really interesting because that's not what I thought. <laughs> cool. Perfect. Um, so I took it more as like a literal symbol of her situation where this is Ray's home. This is where she's coming back to. And she has no time to take care of her, her house, right? Mm -hmm. Where she's not watering her plants, <laughs> where <laughs> sure. it's, it's dying. And, it, and for me, it's more of a symbol of neglect, 
but it's not neglect from like in a bad sense but she's she's like solely focused on survival she doesn't have time for kind of the niceties of life mm -hmm. uh, so it's, i saw it's more of a a symbol of survival what about image b what did you see all right so image b uh is a little later it's 1350 uh in the film and what you see is look like a little doll of a rebel pilot it looks like a rebel pilot's outfit and it's sitting up on the on the shelf there and i remember this being a very striking image from the very first time i saw it that you know ray is uh she's a fan of the rebellion she knows the history uh of this universe which i think is a really smart thing uh, for the filmmakers to have to incorporate it that they kind of put the fans into the film um, you know, it's the same thing with Kylo Ren being a Darth Vader fan. You know, you have to acknowledge the fact that this franchise has had this history, and I think they did it in a really clever way. So I see that as um, her having knowledge of that, being a fan of that. It looks like it's definitely something that's handcrafted that she probably made, or maybe she was able to buy it at the outpost. Uh, but it's it definitely has a place of honor, and it's something that she. I would have guessed that she cherishes. What do you think? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I would just add that I think this is a small element of uh, visual storytelling rather than uh, storytelling with words. You've mm -hmm. heard the phrase like show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. And and this right here is an example of that. Rather than having Ray say to some scavenger at the outpost, man, I sure missed a rebellion or something like that, right? <laughs> right. It's, you see exactly what you said, Craig, which is that this is like a cherished item that she has, which is clearly harkening back to the rebellion, but it's it's not kind of hitting you over the head. And I've heard this before when people, reviewers and critics and stuff have said, like the, the movie is spoon feeding the audience. It doesn't trust the audience. I think this is an example of the filmmakers trusting the audience to pick up what they're putting down. And to understand the story, and I, I just love like this little chunk here. It's only a couple seconds long, because it tells you a ton about Ray's situation and what she values. Yeah, I love it. How about C, real quick? So yeah, just a couple seconds later in the film, thirteen fifty three, we see uh, we see Ray's hand uh, with a stylus marking the next day that she's been there. And again, talking about show not tell. I mean, yeah. this very clearly illustrates that she has been here a very long time. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think of this as like, I think of images of prisoners in jail marking the next, you know, on the, on the concrete wall. That was kind of the image that I pulled from that. It's interesting how, you know, this shot starts, starts small, starts in very narrow, and then it pans out. So you actually get to see how much farther it is. Right. Uh, but it also speaking about, you know, Ray's character and that she's, She's determined. She hasn't given up doing this. She's clearly mm -hmm. been there a long time, but she is making a habit. She does this every single day. Yeah. And I would just add that it's this, it's not a cliche, but it's almost like this kind of cinematic shorthand mm -hmm. where it's like when you see someone scratching, you know, the, the lines, you have an immediate callback to some other film. You've seen it somewhere else before where they're, they're marking the days that they've kind of been stranded on an island or in prison yep. or something. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's just, a, again, a super effective visual storytelling thing. Now, what I find interesting is that these three scenes right here take about 
15 seconds or something like that. Yeah. Like it's an incredibly short amount of time considering the full actual movie. Right. Right. Uh, but it, the Ray's introduction in general, just does a great job of using the visual and cinematic language to inform the viewer what's going on. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of wanted to break this down just a little bit because this is a perfect example of what we're trying to do with cinematography as a whole. Like we're trying to analyze and find deeper meaning within the visual elements of film. Yeah. And it's good just to remind, you know, students that all of these things are very intentional. That all of these things yes. have some kind of meaning. And, you know, it's great that we had a little bit of a, a disagreement about what some of these things meant. And they're equally right. And they're really yeah. that's what we're trying to get to is have these discussions uh with no concrete answer, you know, yeah. just to stimulate that. So so uh, right now, what we want to do is we want to turn our focus a little bit to cinematography specifically. And for cinematography, there are three sub aspects that we can easily break it down to. And this is a very easily digestible thing for students as well. And the first part that we want to talk about is composition, which essentially is just how objects or people are arranged within the screen to give meaning. So left to right, front and back, those kinds of things. Again, always going back to there is a meaning uh, derived from these things. There's a meaning inten intended uh, by these placement. Uh, some rules of thumbs with this, of course, is that whatever takes up the most space on screen is the most important. And so the smaller things are tend to be less important. And your attention is drawn to the bigger things. That's very intentional. Uh, and we can also look at the fact that the size of the characters on the screen in relation to their setting can mean a lot of different things. So if you see a character that's shown very small and you can see lots and lots of background, that might indicate that the character is lonely or desperate. And if you see a character very, very big on screen, that could indicate uh, a sense of aggression or power. Uh, along with that, there are some other general rules and ideas that, kind of happen kind of fast and there might be things that are uh to new newer to to the casual viewer but the more you look at them the more you see how much these are actually used uh the first one is the rule of thirds which splits the screen in three parts it could be top middle bottom it could be left middle right uh you also see parallel lines oftentimes with like a row of trees or a highway and then really interesting to me, I think, is the triangles. I was looking through uh, the intro to uh, Rogue One the other day and noticed that there was three death troopers walking together and the triangle kept changing, but it was yeah. it was a definitive triangle all the way through. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Um, I think it's really interesting. You know, you talk about the parallel lines, rule of thirds and triangles and some of that. And if you've ever studied photography, you'll have probably heard of these things as well. And um, you just kind of have, it helps create like a pleasing image mm -hmm. to the viewer. And so, you know, that's one of the goals of, of movies, of filmmaking is to entertain people. And, and generally speaking, if you look for those, the rule of thirds, uh, triangles, you're going to find them all over. Yep. And I would say that that is good practice to begin noticing what's going on within the film and what the filmmakers may be trying to do. The small and big, as far as composition, right? The objects right. 
that take up uh, the screen, you start seeing a lot of that and you start noticing it way more often uh, once you kind of start looking for it. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you're all right, we might jump to the cheat sheet again. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so image D, and you probably know exactly what I'm talking about because this is, I would argue, probably the most iconic scene from Star Wars is the opening shot of A New Hope, right? When you have the Rebel Corvette running away from the Star Destroyer, the cameras underneath the Star Destroyer looking up, and the Corvette gets gradually smaller and smaller and smaller, and the Star Destroyer gradually takes up more and more of the on-screen space. Absolutely. And so what you were just talking about is exactly what the film is trying to tell us, right? The rebels are desperate. They're running away. Uh, they're all alone, right? We know that, especially after watching Rogue One, there's a real sense of desperation and there's this sense of overwhelming power and authority coming from the Death Star. And you see that in the visual elements within the frame. So if you look at image D, this is like two minutes into A New Hope, uh, you can just see how this is meant to instill a sense of overwhelming power and desperation, again, without really saying anything within the story. Yeah, they don't even tell you which ship is which. You know, they don't yeah. say, well, here's the rebel ship and here's the bad guys. <laughs> uh, you can just tell immediately that the rebels are in a lot of trouble. And it's yeah. almost overwhelming the first time you see it. Yeah. I remember talking to my dad about um, when he first saw Star Wars in theaters, A New Hope, and how awed he and the audience were with that opening scene, right? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of just that perfect representation of the visual storytelling ele elements combining and gelling with what the story is. Mm -hmm. And that's what I like to see. I think good filmmakers find ways to make all of these separate little parts of filmmaking kind of be in harmony with the actual story. Yeah, absolutely. Should we talk about color a little bit? Yeah, so let's move on to the next the next section, uh, which is, is color. And why don't you go ahead and describe what we're talking about there? Yeah, so with films, the directors, the producers, the cinematographers, they have lots of tools to kind of shift what the audience is feeling from scene to scene. And one of those elements is color. So if you kind of dive into color theory a little bit, uh, you take like a color wheel and you can start assigning emotions to different colors. So you might take red is a pretty universal uh, color for either rage, anger, danger, injury, something bad is about to happen. Whereas blue tends to be more of a sorrow, grief, sadness, somber feeling and you take something like like green and you know it depends on the film and the movie but you might get a little bit of fear or apprehension and all of these different colors just kind of i would say nudge the viewer towards yeah. an emotional response it's not like an over-the-top thing i think with music it's it's very much telling you what you're supposed to feel emotionally and can be a little over the top and colors is, is a lot more subtle i would say uh, but it is a tool that filmmakers use yeah yeah well, i want to take a look at the cheat sheet here um uh this is example e mm -hmm. uh, and we have 
a great scene from a lot a little further along in Force Awakens. And this is the bridge scene uh, with Kylo Ren and Han Solo. And this was always a very striking scene. The, the color is very obviously used in this scene, which I think is this is a great right. example that you picked out, where you can see there's a little bit of light still on Kylo and it's red here. And so you're you're feeling there's a little bit of, of tension there. There's still some rage there. And then you can see actually solo in the in the foreground. There's a little bit of blue there. So there's some a uh, little bit of sadness there. Is it maybe a little bit pensive? That's another uh, color that or uh, emotion that's associated with that, where he's not quite sure how this is going to go. Right. Uh, and the color changes, you know, that, that also those lighting is part of this as well, that the, as Absolutely. the light gets lower, I mean, Poe Dameron even calls it out, you know, as long as there's light, we still have a chance. Exactly. So, you know, color, color is one thing. The lighting is absolutely tied to that as well. Darker scenes are meant to be scarier. And it's just the thing we re- react to emotionally, very much like music. And I would also add, because um, you bring up a great point, when the sun is being sucked up into Starkiller Base, mm-hmm. the moment when Kylo decides to kill Han, the sun disappears and it goes dark. And the overwhelming color is red. Um, and I think that's just a that's just a cool little nod to what's going on narratively speaking. Again, if you look at this um, the image in the cheat sheet, you also see that uh, the two colors over Kylo's shoulders. So over one shoulder, there's yeah. the red color. On the other shoulder, there's the blue color. And it made me think of the little cartoon angel and demon, like standing on the cartoon character's yeah. shoulders. Absolutely. Like trying to argue back and forth, like what should you do if you take Kylo's face and if you were to draw a line straight down the middle of his face, you have one side that's red and one side that is a lot more naturally lighted. And I kind of see both those things as Kylo trying to decide what is his path, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the notes, uh, I, I put in, I'm being torn apart. So this shot right here is immediately before Kylo says, I am being torn apart. And the color does the exact same thing with the visual image. Yeah. Yeah. It works without the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, It's such a great scene. So we'll spend a lot of time talking about that as we get into uh, some further discussion of the films. Uh, But right now we want to talk about the third uh, sub aspect of cinematography, and that is the camera work. And this is probably the most uh, involved, most complicated. Um, there's a lot going on with this and I think this is the most fun to pull out. Uh, the first thing we want to talk about is the camera angles. And so the camera angles are essentially the way the camera is looking at a person or object to give meaning. Cause again, everything has meaning. It's all intentional for that. And there's basically four types of angles, uh, that we're looking at here. The first one is a low camera angle with the camera is actually lower than the person and it's pointing up at them this could give the person power command authority i've heard this described as uh i look up to them through that phrase is is very much what's happening there uh but it could also be something a person or a character you're supposed to fear uh the high camera angle the opposite of that has a camera above them and looking down at them which gives you the feeling that that person or object has weakness, that they're the one that is in trouble in that situation. They could be at a disadvantage. And especially when you see 
a high camera angle and a low camera angle interspersed between two characters, you can really tell who's supposed to have the upper hand, quite literally, and who is the person that is in trouble. You might even say whoever has the high ground. <laughs> you might even go that far. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, look how Obi-Wan is shot and Anakin in that. I and mean, it's very much yeah. high angle, low angle. Yeah. Absolutely. My favorite of these angles is absolutely the Dutch or the oblique angle where you take the camera and you turn it about 45 degrees. And so, uh, you know, things are just off. Things are a little bit weird. If a character is under sedation or medication, you might have that. Or things are just going really badly for them. Um, This is the angle you saw in the 1966 Batman show all the time. Uh, I also think of like the first Thor movie used this a lot. Uh, but it's a it's a fun angle just to kind of show that things are askew, if you will. Yeah, one interesting thing I, I've kind of learned about the Dutch angle is whenever the angle is off, people tend to tilt their heads in whatever direction it is. Mm-hmm. And people don't like the angle being off. Um, sometimes movies will flip an image completely upside down, and people don't like that, not for very long. Um, it, it kind of messes with their their heads. Right. It makes the viewer uncomfortable to kind yeah. of make you empathize with the character who's feeling that too. That's that's a cool thing. Uh, and then the last angle that we want to talk about is the extreme high angle or the bird's eye view angle. Uh, I really like that second, uh, second term, bird's eye, because it's very much just like a bird would see from mm-hmm. top down. And so you generally will see just the character's head, the very top of their head, and it's very disorienting. Uh, it's a really interesting... Uh, technique you don't see it a ton in star wars but there are some iconic scenes you see that with anakin and revenge of the sith walking into the temple Um, yeah yeah so it's definitely it's it gets your attention really quickly and it is a little jarring and again that's that's on purpose right okay moving on from there uh we have uh camera shots which is the way the camera is placed to establish context or emphasize the actor's performance uh we have Starting when we start as far back as we can, we have the extreme wide or long shot, which is the establishing shot. You have the full body of the character in relation to surroundings to give you context. Moving in from there, we have the long shot, which is just uh, feet to top of the head. You have these two shots are very similar. You have the American shot, which is from the knees to the top of the head, which lets you see facial expressions and body language. And then the more traditional mid shot, which is from the waist, right in the middle. Again, facial expressions, body language, close-up. Most people are familiar with that one, Mm -hmm. uh, which shows facial expressions. That's just from your shoulders to the top of the head. And then you have the extreme close-up, which is exactly what it sounds like, where it draws focus specifically to things. It might be to a weapon in the guy's holster. It could be to just the eyes. It could be to a mouth. It could be anything that you want to draw really close attention to. And each of these kind of has some kind of it's like a toolbox that a director uses uh, for different purposes. Uh, one example I, that pops into my head is with the extreme close-up in A New Hope when Han and Greedo are sitting in there mm-hmm. uh, at their table in the cantina. And then they'll have a close-up where you can see Han un, uh, unlocking his blaster. I don't know what you call it, but he kind of you know gets his blaster ready. That is kind of priming the audience for what's about to happen next. Absolutely. And that's one of the fun things I like to to challenge students with after setting them up with what these things are to to watch a film to try and pick out the shots as they're changing just to see the editing 
to try and catch up and track as many of those things as you can, just to get an idea of how much time and energy has gone into the editing of this to have picked all these shots out and have shot them at different times. Right. Um, That's a lot of fun. Yes. The last part of camera work is the point of view, which is just the way the audience views the action. Uh, There's two main ways with this very much like a narrative narrative form. We have the omniscient point of view. The camera sees everything can go anywhere. It's usually pretty objective. And then you have the single character's point of view, which is showing you what a single person would be seeing. Great example of this is in uh, A New Hope when Luke is looking through the macro binoculars, looking for R2-D2 at night. You literally see his view yeah. through that. And a fun thing that goes along with this is the shot reverse shot or the shot counter shot, which is where you have two characters having a conversation and it will show one character looking at another character and you see the other character looking at the other character and it flips back around. So you're looking uh, through one person's eyes and then back to the other. Right. So for a good example of shot reverse shot, we can go back to the cheat sheet and look at example F. So I chose this example. Um, It actually has a little bit of camera angle in it too, uh, which is actually the main reason that I kind of chose this one is you can see, and it's a little bit of the staging between between Finn and Ray, right? The characters, where they are in relation to each other. But but Ray is clearly looking down at Finn, right? And Finn is clearly looking up at Ray. And this is the moment in the film uh, they're at, what is it? Is it Takodana? Yeah, and Maz Kanata's castle in Takodana. Right. And and Finn is trying to run away. And so he is in that position of weakness. He's, He's afraid. All he wants to do is cut and run. He doesn't want to fight anyone. He wants to get out of there. And Ray doesn't understand that. She wants to stay. She wants to fight. She wants to learn what's going on. And you see that just in the the higher and the lower with the characters and the camera angle, how it's how it's framed. Yeah. Yeah. So it has that. It combines the uh, the camera angles there, and then it switches back and forth. So you get Ray's perspective and Finn's perspective, and you see who has. Going back to your thing from earlier, who has the moral high ground mm-hmm. uh, in this? Uh, and that's another thing to point out. You go back to this uh, the Star Destroyer shot from earlier. It's shot from a low camera angle. Most of these things have several things. Most of these shots have several things going on at the same time. So it's not just a if then or or an if or. It's yeah. It's all of these things. What all can you pick out from that? Right. So Matt, do we have an assignment? We do. We are teachers. Giving assignments is part of our job. So uh, for an assignment, I want you to pick out your favorite Star Wars film and pick out your favorite scene. Alternatively, you could just choose a random one, random movie, random scene. Either way will work. Uh, Grab a scratch piece of paper, a pen, and I want you to take some notes on the composition, the color, and the camera movement, the three things we kind of touched on uh, in this episode. I want you to write with as much detail as possible. So if you see Ray, I don't want you to just write down Ray, but really describe it. Ray is sitting hunched over in the shadow of an AT-AT's foot, a vast as it surrounds her. A rusted out rebellion helmet sits at her side, right? Flex your descriptive powers a little bit. And it's totally okay to pause as frequently as you need to, to take some notes. Be as detailed as possible. There are a few questions, some guided questions that might help you get started. Think about what is your eye drawn towards if the camera moves what is motivating that movement is it following a character for example 
is there a striking use of color? What might the color imply about the story or characters? Is there anything within the shot that might add detail to the character or to the story? And then as for, uh, as for a recommendation for which scene to analyze, uh, I would recommend uh, jumping into Force Awakens for Ray's introduction. It starts about 10 minutes and 42 seconds into the film and analyzing it as far as you kind of feel comfortable doing. You're gonna see a lot of the elements that we talked about with uh, composition, with color, all that kind of stuff uh, in Ray's intro. Absolutely. So uh, there's also, um, as we go through, we like to share resources. As we've said before, everything that we uh, use in class is uh, on the website that you have full access to. And then Matt found a book uh, that is also very helpful. And why, Matt, why don't you tell uh, our listeners yeah, so, about that? So film studies is a very deep subject, right? There's a lot that you can get into. And when we were jumping into this, it was a little bit of a struggle finding good resources that had depth, but not so much that you were kind of overwhelmed. Uh, so Ed Sikov uh, wrote a book called Film Studies and Introduction, uh, which I would recommend if you're interested in what we've been talking about, but want a, a little bit more depth. Uh, I would really recommend that book. It is sort of a textbook, and it adds more depth to what we have just talked about, but it's not overwhelming. So I would say it's a good introductory text uh, to jump into if you're interested. Yeah, that's on my to-read list. I'm, I'm excited to dive into that too. Just yeah. from what I've seen that you've shared with me so far, it's it looks like a great resource. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. Please check out our teaching resources at coruscantcc.podbean.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us or just say hello, you can find us on Twitter at coruscantccpod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash coruscantccpod, or email us at c3podfeedback at gmail.com. Coruscant Community College. Because the Imperial Academy isn't for everyone. This podcast is not endorsed by the Walt Disney Company or Lucasfilm Limited. It is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. All names, sounds, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Disney and their respective trademark and copyright holders. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Coruscant Community College unless otherwise indicated. Nothing more will I teach you today. You've taken your first step into a larger world. We will watch your career with great interest. what you have done. Coruscant Community College. Because the Imperial Academy isn't for everyone.